every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and each week, give or take, I'm joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, authors and educators, to discuss two to four episodes of Joss Whedon's critically acclaimed series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and a spin-off series, Angel. I've been a fan of both shows since their original runs, and I've spent many years talking to lots of people about them, but I've somehow never done a full rewatch, so this will be my first time going back through all the way from the beginning. I am familiar with the story and where everything is going, but my guests are likely going to be educating me at least as much as they will be our listeners, probably more so. Uh, and talking with me today is uh, Melanie Scala, longtime fan of genre fiction in general and Buffy the Vampire Slayer in particular. Would you say that that's accurate? Oh, definitely. Okay, good. I've been in genre fiction since I was a kid. Excellent. Uh, and also, you've you made me aware apparently you went to uh, library school yes that's true okay which as far as i'm concerned that makes you a watcher in training right (laughs) that would be awesome (laughs) okay so i i don't know if i've ever met anybody who uh went to library school so that's going to be that will put an interesting spin on our discussion of these episodes possibly yeah i don't have a lot to say regarding library stuff in this episode but i do have lots of nitpicks about giles oh in general giles nitpicks this is a rarity not many i love giles (laughs) he's fantastic but he's a crap librarian (laughs) well he is i mean he's distracted he's doing other things librarian is just his his uh secret identity although you'd (laughs) think you'd think if anybody was gonna i don't know we'll see but um Anyways, thank you, Melanie, for joining me. Um, why don't you give our listeners just a brief history of your history with Buffy? Like, when did you discover the show? Uh, when did you become a super fan? Well, the movie came out when I was 11, and I adored it. <laughs> okay. I, I spent the entire summer quoting it with friends, and just, I love the movie. I know it's terrible, but I love it. <laughs> and then when the WB decided to do the show. I thought that was a terrible idea. You know how everybody's all down on remakes now. I was the original with that. I was so mad and I refused to watch it. WB, the WB was threatening to ruin your favorite film. Exactly. (laughs) But, um, a friend of mine terribly got me into Dawson's Creek. I'm very embarrassed about that. But, um, the night of becoming part two, Mm-hmm. I was so excited about the Dawson Creek finale that I turned on WB like 10 or 15 minutes early and I caught it right when uh, Angel was doing the speech about uh, no friends, no weapons, what do you have? Mm-hmm. Me. And so I uh, I was hooked from 
the very first line I saw. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yes. So, so when did you get to go back and and catch what you had missed? I watched all of season two in reruns over the summer, mm-hmm. and then um, and I, I stuck with watching the show for its whole airing. Sometime after, like I'd catch occasional reruns of season one, but I didn't get to see the whole thing until I was like twenty-two or so. I, I'm Buffy's age, so. Okay. Um, we were actually born both in January of 81, so I always feel like Buffy's story is a very bizarre <laughs> alternate universe of mine. All right, that's fair. So it is, uh, I guess that is the official canon birthday for Buffy now, right? They're, yeah. It, they, they sort of waffled on that a few times, but I guess it has settled into uh, January of 81, so... Yeah, that's that's what it like all the the books and stuff say right. after this series ended. But uh, even if they didn't, I would still say it's January because <laughs> that's when my birthday is. Of course, of course. All right. So, um, have you done rewatches of the series before? You said you watched it all the way through on its run. Uh, have you gone back and revisited or? So many times, I don't I don't even know how many. <laughs> okay. Have you done like a full rewatch from the beginning to the end? Um, I've done a couple, mostly I'll just like skip around, Okay. Yeah. but, um, I, a couple years ago, um, I got my dad to watch it after many years of trying and begging him to do. So we, um, we watched all the way almost to the end. I moved too far away to, uh, finish it with him, but, um, we watched until like halfway through season seven. Was he a fan? Mostly, he he's he prefers Firefly, but oh, okay. um, he he enjoys the uh, the snarkiness and right. the general Whedon humor. Right. Do you know if he finished it on his own after you moved away? I don't think so. I think he was mostly watching it because it wasn't terrible, and he likes me. <laughs> it wasn't terrible. All right. Well, um. All right. Well, I, I guess I'll give the spoiler warning now for our listeners. Uh, if, if for some reason this is the first time you're listening to an episode of this podcast, Conversations with Dead People is not meant to be the typical rewatch and review podcast. Uh, we're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. So that means spoilers and probably lots of them. I recommend that if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series all the way through at least once uh, that you press pause on this podcast now and go do that. I think this conversation will make a lot more sense if you've actually watched the show so you know that we're what we're having a conversation about. Um, but that's just me. Um, otherwise, go ahead and stick around. What do I care? Uh, if all of the business is taken care of, I guess nothing's left but uh, Melanie for you and I to get to work. Sounds good. So tonight we're discussing, um, it's two episodes, but really it's just one episode of what's my line part one and what's my line part two. Um, the, this one is a little unique. Um, usually the two part or the multi-part episodes that Buffy does, the episodes are really like, they're obviously split. Um, this one I think plays as genuinely just a a two hour long episode um yeah i agree i i 
basically even in my notes like I'd, I'd start talking about a scene in the second one while I was writing notes for the first one and that sort of thing. Yeah, so I see no reason for us to try and uh, break these down into individual episodes. Uh, the only, like in my in my notes here, the only difference, I mean, they are directed, it is two different directors. So I guess in that sense, they were produced as two separate episodes. Uh, part one is directed. Different air dates too. Okay. Uh, yeah, November 17th for the first one and November 21st. 24th for the second one uh part one is written by howard gordon and marty noxon part two is written as credited strictly to marty noxon part one directed david solomon uh part two david semmel um so i i guess looking at it on paper they're two separate episodes but they really don't play that way so i we might as well just talk about this as one uh, long two-hour episode okay so what did you think what, um, what are well, your thoughts on this I really like this episode um, because even post high school, I very much identify with the, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, partly in regards to Xander. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, I, whatever I'm interested in, like there's all these other things that I don't want to close doors on, which is part of why I went to library school actually, because I can keep learning. Mm -hmm. So I really just, Throughout my life, this has been a pair of episodes that I really strongly identify with. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this episode, these episodes, we'll just keep saying this episode, um, starts off with the whole career day nonsense, the career day nightmare of high school, which is, I, I personally don't know anybody that enjoyed career day in high school, but... We never even had one. Oh, really? Um, yeah, we, uh, I, th I think that, because um, I'm a bit younger than you, I think it, it is one of those things that happened for a while, and now the writers of television are trying on their own experiences that are not necessarily relevant to the people who are watching them. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, like, I, uh, I bounced around from school to school when I was growing up. I led a very nomadic lifestyle. So I, I actually kind of got to experience uh, more than one career day or variation on career day. Um, I do know that career day as it's portrayed in this episode as sort of like an event with different uh, employers coming in and, and setting up booths and that kind of stuff. I do know that that happened. My experience with career day tended to be much more about like uh, a counselor or something would, would come and speak to the classroom as a whole or whatever. Like it, it was much more, you had, you had counselors or you had people that would make presentations to a class or whatever. It wasn't sort right. of, it wasn't like a book fair, like it, <laughs> it looks in this, but in any case, um, part of the premise of of these episodes is the idea of um you know what's what is buffy's future going to be like like mm -hmm. she, she's basically been drafted into a career choice and uh it's her struggling to come to terms with that which has kind of been what the entire series was and i do want to talk about uh the the sort of temporary epiphanies or whatever the the mile markers that the series sets uh that don't always stick so these what's my line 
kind of gives Buffy an opportunity to make peace with her, her future. Like Mm -hmm. part of the journey of these episodes is that she comes to terms with the fact that being a, being the Slayer isn't really just a job, something that she can, she can quit or whatever at some point, but it's, it's her calling or whatever. It's her duty. And, uh, I noticed a, um, a sort of, uh, presaging of uh, faith with with um, a conversation that Buffy was having with Kendra. Kendra was saying, or no, she was having a conversation about Kendra with Willow. And uh, Willow was saying that, um, you know, with, with Buffy around, or with Kendra around, Buffy's still Giles' favorite. Right, And yeah. Buffy's like, well, maybe I, you know, could quit for a bit or go off and spend a month at Disneyland. And then uh, when when um, Faith shows up, Buffy is like, maybe I could go away to school and maybe just slay on the weekends or whatever mm-hmm. and let Faith handle everything. Yeah. So, and that's kind of what I'm talking about is that I don't, I, this isn't a knock on the series necessarily, but it is just one of those sort of uh, little, little nits that I like to pick occasionally is... Um, Usually it's on an episode to episode basis, but this feels like almost a a series marker where it ends for all intents and purposes. It ends with Buffy having essentially made peace like she accepts the fact that, hey, I'm the Slayer. And I mean, it helps that she has now she now knows she's technically not alone, like she's not the only Slayer. Um, But you know, it kind of ends on that beat of I'm the Slayer and that's okay. Like I, I, I've, this is my place in the world. And that does not stick for very long at all. Like this is a thing that Buffy struggles with continuously over. I think the entire course of the series. Like I agree with you, but I don't think it's necessarily a knit. I mean, that's pretty Zelda. Don't eat my cords. Um, (laughs) My cat. Uh, I I don't think it's necessarily a a knock on the series or or a bad thing necessarily, even just a little one, because it takes some people a lot of tries to really figure out what's what their life is and learning the lessons over and over. Right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's hundred percent fair. Uh, and I know that in fiction, you're not necessarily looking for realism all the time, but I think it's fairly realistic that they, they do it with Buffy. Yeah. Well, that, that was another thing. That's how I was going to respond is that I think a lesson I'm going to need to learn over the course of this podcast is um, to allow for those sorts of realistic elements to creep in. Like I, I love when I love when reality is mixed in with my fantasy um, so there are things that I feel like in hindsight, I tend to nitpick the show for, or things that I, I tend to looking back on the show, I tend to think of it as annoyances or whatever. And on this rewatch, I'm hoping that I can find a way to make my own peace with some of this stuff and, and accept the fact that, yeah, on an episode, as an episode, you watch this and, and you get the sort of feel good moment at the end where Buffy maybe is kind of coming to terms with um, with this and I just have to accept the fact that realistically 
that's not a thing that 16-year-old girls typically do. They may feel like at the end of the day they've made peace with their lot in life, but tomorrow they're going to wake up and, and they'll be just as annoyed as they had been before. So, Yeah, that I mean, sounds right. Yeah, so again, I, I, I'm hoping to learn some valuable lessons on this rewatch as we do these podcasts, and that's a thing that I'm just going to have to have to make peace with. Um, but... Anyways, back to the back to the episode. I feel like what's my line is kind of a significant turning point in the the arc of the series because up to up till this point um there have been hints. I mean, there's there's certainly been discussion and 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 hints at the fact that Sunnydale exists in a larger world, but you know, as we're watching the show, the the stuff tends to focus in uh on our specific characters that we know and love and on Sunnydale and on the Hellmouth um but where's my line starts to really broaden the world of the Buffyverse I think um because Absolutely. Because not just not just because of Kendra either just the idea of, you know, leaving high school. Mhm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean obviously the career fair opens up the idea of you're going to graduate school eventually and you're going to have to, in fact, I think, uh, was it this episode? I'm scanning really quick to see, uh, isn't this the one where Willow and Xander are having the conversation and she says, well, we won't be, we won't be young forever. Yes, but I'll always be stupid. But I'll always be stupid. Yeah. And yeah. So there's the idea that eventually they're going to have to leave school and they're going to have to go out into the big world and find jobs or whatever. Um, but yes, we do, uh, meet another Slayer. So previous episodes had toyed with the notion or had mentioned the fact that there have been other Slayers in the past. Obviously the premise of the show is that there's only one Slayer at a time. Um, but this may, this solidifies that it becomes a very concrete concept when a second Slayer actually walks onto the screen. Um, but I mean, we've also got with the recent introduction of Spike and Drew and the fact that they share, uh, like they share a history with Angel. Um, there's this whole thing that has happened with Drew in Prague. I don't know. I feel like these are the episodes that mark the expansion of the Buffyverse. Yeah. And story-wise, like as the mid-season finale, we go from uh, sort of the, the episode of the week episodes to uh, more archy stuff with Angel and Angelus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it, was this a mid-season finale? I think so. I had forgotten. I'd have, to, I'd have to look at my air dates, but I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So, and, and definitely the rest of the season focuses in on a, uh, starts telling a more cohesive story. It stops being, uh, becomes less monster of the week and becomes more. Mm-hmm. Do you remember off the top of your head when they adopt the term big bad? I think it's uh, when Spike shows up, he calls himself the big bad and then it starts kind of leaking into the, the, the conversations as a whole, the scripts as a whole. I don't remember him using it at this point. Like I don't, I, I don't remember it in uh, school hard when he first showed up. I can't remember if he says it then. I feel like you're right. It does feel like it's a spike thing, but 
I don't think it's happened yet in the series. But at any rate, um, from this point on, I think season two becomes much more about the big bad and less about the, the metaphorical monsters of the week. But, um, all right. So what, uh, what did we get in this? Uh, what, what, what does it mean for the show that we have met? Well, let's talk about Kendra. <laughs> we, have to, <laughs> we have to talk about Kendra. So, uh, the actress, Bianca Lawson, uh, who apparently is ageless because I, I've looked her up and in, in the various things that she has done. She's constantly playing high school characters still. I mean, she looks, she looks the damn same now as she Absolutely. did in 97. It's ridiculous. At any rate, uh, she's a fantastic actress, but what do we, what are your thoughts on Kendra? Well, when the show originally aired and, and I was watching these episodes on in the reruns, um, you know, Kendra didn't bother me at all. Um, there's that big controversy with her accent, whether it's a uh, legitimate accent or if she just sounds stupid or what have you. Man, I, um, I had forgotten. I'll just tell you right now. I had forgotten how rough that accent is. <laughs> well, um, like... I went to a school that was mostly white and Asian, so I wasn't exposed to a whole lot of uh, international accents that are associated with uh, mostly black countries like the Caribbean and Africa, mm -hmm. um, African countries. And so at the time, you know, I was just like, whatever, It's she's talking, and it, I can recognize the general gist of what they're going with. But um, as I've gotten older and uh, more aware of other people in other cultures, I don't know if it really is like a specific dialect of a specific island or what, but um, it like, why didn't they go with a non, like an accent, like a British accent or a Spanish accent, someplace that you don't necessarily think of as a black country, but where um, black people absolutely live. I think it was a missed opportunity. I mean, this is a thing the the subject of representation is going to come up again uh, over the course of the series, over the course of these, these podcasts. Uh, it's a thing that the show gets dinged for, has gotten dinged for. Um, there are not very many uh, black or African-American characters featured in the series. I, I feel like it's possible to, to view Kendra in um well, I think it's possible to view that character and not necessarily like there's an innocent way to read that character. Um, but it's, it is, it is awkward. It's, it's borderline, I guess I hate the word problematic, but it's borderline problematic uh, to, to have the first like black character of, of maybe Maybe I think ever. I was thinking I think she's the black first black character ever and possibly the first character of color that is like a major character. Yeah. I know that Jenny Jenny's uh she's Roma but she's she appears white. Yeah. I can't I yeah. There there must have been like students wandering through in the background but yeah i think i think you're right there's, Kendra might be There's the... not that many there's not that many Latino characters either. Yeah, which it's like in, in the background, Southern California. Come on, guys. But right. Uh, at any rate, uh, it, it is it's it's a slightly uncomfortable, I guess, that the first 
uh, character of color, or at least significant character of color. <laughs> this really, I, I, maybe their heart was in the right place. Like they were trying to show that uh, the Slayer line is a global thing. It's not limited to, to even just England and America, because we've had plenty of characters with British accents on the show at this point. Um, so maybe, maybe points for, I, for efforts, I guess. Yeah, I think that was like the intention. It just looking back from this point, it seems not so great. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to constantly with this and with X-Files and other shows that I enjoyed in the 90s, I have to remind myself that's how it was then. That's what's passed for, you know, uh, good representation then. And we just have to keep improving and keep expecting more of, of our artists. Yeah. So, all right, with that out of the way, leaving that aside, uh, what do you think about just the character of Kendra in general? I really like her. I was very disappointed in Becoming when she dies. Mm -hmm. um, I found it interesting. They're a little inconsistent with her uh, about like her worldliness. Like She's not allowed to talk to boys. She's not allowed to have friends, but she knows what a cheerleader is. Yeah. And she also, she dresses really stylishly for someone who only has one shirt. I thought that too. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a, because of that accent, it's kind of a goofy, awful line when she says, that's me only shirt or whatever. Um, yeah. I, I hate myself even for quoting that line. But <laughs> and my thought was, well, if you've only got one shirt, that was a really nice shirt. I mean. I also, I semi-relatedly, uh, Fashion-wise, this is the episode of Bad Pants. The episode of Bad Pants. Well, Kendra's pants That's how are... That's I think of it. Kendra's pants, like, Kendra's outfit is... Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. But are you saying there were more bad pants? Um, mainly, I think about the uh, the fuzzy green ones that Buffy wears in the last scene. You're, yes. As soon as, you, as soon as I asked the question, I was like, oh, yeah, doesn't Buffy wear Kermit pants at one point? Yeah. There's another episode, I think, in this this season where she has like giraffe print pants it's just terrible i i would say so in the first episode of this podcast uh nikki stafford was um very forgiving of the fashion of buffy the vampire slayer i think a lot of it holds up but there are just occasional pieces that you i'm just like what what were you thinking but i think it's just to show how like fashion forward buffy was that she took risks she did take risks I will give her that. I would, I would just, I would single out Buffy Summers in particular for some of her props for taking risks, but man, questionable. Yes. Buffy herself, her fashion sense was a little questionable. Of course, a few seasons from now, like I just said that Buffy was wearing Kermit pants, a few seasons from now, Willow is going to dress as if she had skinned Elmo. Um, <laughs> it, like, I, I will refer to it as her Elmo skin vest that she wears in an episode coming up, but at any rate, um, yeah, Kendra, like my memories of Kendra, I remembered the character of Kendra. I had, I had 100% forgotten that she even had an accent. Um, so the first time she speaks like my note, I won't quote my note here because I used some pretty harsh language, but basically I was like, what in the actual hell is going on? I had completely forgotten. Uh, that the accent was even a thing. Um, so it took me a little while to get past that, but um, I feel like the character of Kendra, um, 
if she'd gotten more space to be fleshed out, like if they hadn't shipped her back home immediately, if she'd stuck around for a few episodes. Um, I would have loved that. I'd also like, I was wondering um, what was it like once she went back after, you know, talking to Buffy about how her emotions are assets and how Buffy has, mm-hmm. you know, she has friends and she can date and how that can fuel her, her fight against evil. How like um, Kendra's watcher, handled possibly some attitude changes from Kendra when she came back mm-hmm. or if Kendra just fell back in line. Yeah. Is that not addressed? I can't, I, I don't remember specifics of when Kendra comes back. Is that, I, I don't think so. She, she comes back, I think only for becoming. Okay. Um, yeah. Then that is a missed opportunity because um, like Giles has, uh, I guess what the, traditional watchers would consider a very questionable method of dealing with his slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the implication is that uh, Kendra's watcher is much more like by the book. I mean, they even introduced the idea that there is a book to, to go by, <laughs> which uh, Buffy is, was not formally aware of. Um, I loved uh, Willow's reaction. Are there t-shirts? Yeah, exactly. Um and yet it is, it's super questionable. I feel like it's super questionable that, uh, however professional or by the book Kendra's watcher may be, he just sends her off on her own to, to like sneak onto a plane and hide in the cargo hold. And I don't know, that seemed really iffy. Yeah. At the, at the end, she says that, you know, taking a seat on a ticket and everything is, is not f- traveling undercover. And I'm like, is traveling in the cargo hold really undercover? Because any, anybody notices you, that is way weirder than right? traveling in a seat. Right. It's not like she doesn't have a sign that says, I'm the Slayer, ask me how. <laughs> <laughs> so she could have just flown on the plane and nobody would have. I don't know. Anyways, it's one of those sort of weird quirks of the, the Buffy verse, I guess, that we just have to accept. But I, I say that her watcher is not the best watcher out there. Um, I would love like a spin-off series, just like focusing on other, like the potentials when they were still just potentials. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they're learning with their watchers, the ones that, you know, knew about their potential um, slayerhood and, and how they interact with their watchers, or even if like just a mini series. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, that's another one of the, this is a, this is a bigger world sort of questions that these episodes raise is the notion that um, like Buffy, her, her mother doesn't know or didn't know whatever, who knows Mm -hmm. how much Joyce knows and doesn't know at this point, but certainly nobody came to Joyce early on in Buffy's childhood and said, your you know, your daughter is special. She needs to be raised by the watchers council. So um, some slayer, some potentials, apparently know that they're potentials and some don't and some of them are raised a certain way and others are just left to their own devices and obviously whatever magic forces are at work here um when when a slayer dies and a new one is activated it's it seems to be a completely random selection process that the forces the powers that be make there's just there's so many so many questions involved uh, in 
the process of being a potential and becoming a slayer and all that. And I know some of it, the, the series addresses in some measure, at least as it goes on, but there's, there is a, a whole bunch of stuff that, the, that we never really find out how it works. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love imagining sort of spinoffs and continuations and, uh, the branching storylines that we could have followed with that kind of stuff. And so just add this to the list. I would love to see, I mean, unfortunately we find out a little bit about how the watchers council works in future episodes, but I would just love to see uh, on a global scale, kind of what the watchers around the world, like how much, how much autonomy do they have to decide how they operate with their slayer? Giles is given a ton of freedom for a little while. Uh, to work with his slayer the however he wants yeah i don't know it would be really interesting to see that although i know the comics are are not your favorite and i haven't read them since the first uh post series season Mm -hmm. but um i feel like they could do side projects like this with that yeah i know I mean, I know a little bit about what goes on in the comics. I think maybe some of this has been touched on. There have been... Uh, I don't know what, if any, of the comics that came out before season eight, before the uh, official series continuation. I don't know how much of that stuff is considered canon. I think that uh, the Frey stuff, the Future Slayer stuff, I think that is yeah. considered canon. But like, I know they did Tales of the... Tales of the Slayers, I think that came out, and I don't know how much of that is considered canon. I th- yeah, I don't think it's considered canon. I believe. Or there, Tales of the Vampires. Tales of the Vampires. I believe there. Am I imagining it? Was there a Tales of the Watchers or something like that? I might be completely making that up. As if I, there was, I don't know about it. Yeah, as I said it aloud, that didn't sound like a real thing. I may have completely imagined that, but at any rate, if there was, I don't think that's canon, so. Yeah, there there really is a market for sort of tie-in novels or graphic novels or whatever. But whatever, license to print money. No one asks me for my opinion <laughs> on this stuff. Um, so besides Kendra, uh, let's see, what other first do we get? We get Mr. Gordo for the first time. Yes, I love Mr. Gordo. It's just like a little throwaway thing. And I love how like, unashamed Buffy is that she still has like a favored childhood toy. Yeah. Yeah. Now does, do you know, does Mr. Gordo come back or is this, cause Mr. I Gordo, feel like he's part of the, the set, but I don't know that he's referenced again. Okay. Yeah. That was the thing. Mr. Gordo felt like a big reveal to me in this because I, that's, he's just has a presence on the show, but I can't remember like, is this his one and only appearance? And do we all, do we all just remember him fondly from this or does he pop back up in a future episode? I can't remember. Who else did we get? The order of Taraka. Let's talk about the order of Taraka. I don't remember how I felt about them when I first watched the show, but looking back, I find them extremely disappointing, right? They talk about how like they're, they're overkill and they're, they're like incredibly dangerous and they freak Bucky Puffy out so much. But, um, like, okay, 
they're very easy for Buffy to defeat. To defeat. One of them, uh, the the woman who pretends to be a cop, you know, she she uses a gun, which again, you, it doesn't happen a whole lot yeah. in the Buffy verse, so is always eye catching. But like, she's a terrible shot. She's supposed to be an amazing, uh, an assassin, and she can't even hit like she didn't even when she hit um Oz she didn't even the bullet didn't penetrate he just got a graze yeah yeah first of all like as you said anytime guns pop up on this show it feels like particularly shocking and here we have a gun in a school <laughs> so yeah that was that was a little uncomfortable but um yeah so they they the order of Taraka they talk a good game or people talk a good game about them but man they were kind of a nothing thing. Not only were was each individual member of the group that we met, the three people that we met. Wait, was it three? Yeah. Yeah, it was three. Okay. Um, they were, each one of them was kind of nothing. Like, I, I think the coolest one was, uh, was, is it Norman? Norman Fister? The, yes. the, the bug guy? He's, yes. He was... The, the most interesting of the three but that's not really a very high uh, that's a pretty low bar to clear it really is and they ultimately xander and cordelia defeat him with with a glue, glue. trap a glue trap yeah. so i mean come on and the big thing about the order of taraka like giles's big thing is that they never give up they just send first of all it's weird that they send them at you one at a time that seems ineffectual and obviously right. it is but he's like you know they never they never stop they just keep sending people after you f forever until they until they kill you um, or until it becomes no longer convenient for the storyline i was gonna say obviously <laughs> they do stop because they we never hear from them again i suppose so this is my fan wank i guess that um spike met them as a distraction just to keep Buffy occupied and he doesn't need that anymore. So maybe he calls off the hit or maybe since Spike was the one that initiated the contract and Spike is basically out of commission now for a little while, mm -hmm. maybe the contract is canceled. I don't know. It's, it's silly. The order of Taraka is kind of a laughable uh, assassins guild that doesn't really yeah. pay off, but absolutely. And with uh, Norman, I mm -hmm. found it really ridiculous that he's a man made up of bugs, mm -hmm. but he can't control his bug parts long enough to sell Cordelia some lipstick. <laughs> right. One just walks across his face for no reason. <laughs> I, I guess uh, premature bugification. I don't know. That was, <laughs> that was weird. But uh, it's also always weird as someone who was a zookeeper for over a decade and uh I worked with mealworms a lot. Uh, I worked in the bird department. I fed mealworms to a ton of birds over 11 years. And so it's just always silly to me when the the go-to insect on any television show or film is a mealworm. That's... Yeah, I was thinking, why don't you just get like some birds? They'll eat them. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, man, all right. Um... I also, it's, this is probably just completely me but mm. as an x-files fan i wondered if norman fister's name was somehow as like the creepy white guy an allusion to uh donnie faster on uh x-files oh nice nice 
I had not had not even thought about that. It's probably not, but probably. Um, I just like to think it is. But there was a, I mean, there was a lot of crossover between the two shows. They were airing concurrently, and so. Uh... Yeah, the, the I uh, I always joke about the the Vancouver actors I recognize. Yeah. In other genre shows because of X Files. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about uh, Spike and Drew. Um, I, I don't know what your proclivities are, but I personally feel like Spike and Drew are the best things that ever happened to the damn show. Um, I Early on, I super love them. They, they're great. Later on, when, uh, when uh, things get weird between Spike and Buffy, uh-huh. I find Drusilla kind of... Like, I just want to be like, just give up sooner than she does (laughs) you want you want drew to give up sooner than she does yeah i feel like she deserves better like i know that that's ridiculous since she's a vampire and a murderer and all that but like i like drew and um maybe i see sort of like i don't love the the portrayal of madness with drew but like Mm -hmm. Until she becomes the Drusilla that we see on Angel, the series. Right. Um, she She's too willing to forgive Spike. And <laughs> that I, annoys me. Yeah. So I have uh, my, my focus and the, the focus of the show uh, radically uh, zooms in on Spike at a certain point and Drew kind of becomes secondary. Yeah. Um, which is unfair to the character of Drew. I, I guess I understand why it happens on the show. But so I do know that Drew at a certain point on Buffy, the character of Drew gets, um, you know, underserved and her, uh, her return appearances, at least in one, in one instance I can recall is really kind of iffy. Like I almost wish that they had just used a different character <laughs> than, mm-hmm. than Drew. But um I love the two of I love them as a couple so much yes. in these early episodes. They are so much fun. Um and it it gives me a fondness for Drew going forward and as you said she eventually uh moves over to Angel the series and I love what they do with the character on Angel the series. I actually I am a massive Spike fan. I I will always be a massive Spike fan. Um and I don't I love the stuff that we get of him on Angel, but I actually feel like Drew was better served on Angel than Spike was. Um, however, I I just even given the direction that both of their stories end up taking in the long run, I still I don't know what goes on with them in the comics because, like we've said, I gave up on the comics pretty quickly. Um, so I don't know how much of this has been done or if any of this has been done, but I just have this little fantasy world. I have my own fan fiction post angel season five for where these characters went (laughs) and the things that the characters do and try to do. Um, and because of that, I live in my own little fantasy world and I will always, there will always be a place for spike and drew in my, in my world. So, um, I can understand that Spike is definitely one of my favorite characters as a like taking him just as a character. Mm-hmm. Like, if they were real people, oh yeah. Uh, and this gets to the heart of why 
you've, you've talked about shipping before. Mm-hmm. I ship Buffy and Riley because as a, if Buffy was a real person, Riley is who I would want her to be with because until season five, at least, he is a stable, healthy influence. Right. I I don't remember if you're, I, I'm pretty sure you've signed up for episodes um, in that time period, right? I'm yes, like, okay. I have. I think so. Obviously, we're going to have to revisit this. I have to have you back Thank to talk you. about this because um, I, in terms of shipping, I don't know. Like, I, I loved Riley and I have always defended Riley. I feel like Riley got a bum rap from the show and from the audience. Um, so it's fascinating to have a guest on who who loves Riley. We, we are a I rare breed. I have had to myself so many times with my friends. They're just like, but he's boring. He's a potato. <laughs> See, I and I disagree with that, but I mean, we'll get to that when Riley comes into the picture. But uh, I it is it's refreshing to have a guest on who is also a fan of Riley. Now, in terms of shipping, I you know, in the long run, I don't identify myself as a Buffy and Riley shipper necessarily, but because uh, I have other preferences, but I never disliked the character of Riley, and I always quite liked him actually i feel like with all the romances i liked them as they were going on you know i was a 16 year old Mm -hmm. girl when buffy was dating angel so of course it was exactly what i wanted yeah and uh when buffy i mean i loved spike from the first line so of course when she and spike got together it was weird but i was into it but uh (laughs) i i have a hard time with everybody hating on riley yeah i agree Totally agree. Um, all right. Well, since we're talking about relationships, let's talk about uh, we get some the, the first real like forward progress on the whole Oz and Willow front. Yes. My notes are literally just random spots in my notes are just hearts. And I love Oz just over <laughs> and over. He's my favorite character. And I will do anything. Like I will justify anything he does. I love him. I don't, I feel, is there a lot that has to be justified with Oz? I think mostly it's just like a, the, the arc that they used in season four to get him off the show. Yeah. There's some stuff there, but other than that, yeah. there's really not. Um, I, I don't know an awful lot of behind the scenes stuff. I feel like Seth, uh, Seth Green, who plays Oz, I feel like him leaving the show, that was him. Uh, yeah, he had a lot of uh, movie stuff that yeah. uh, his his career was picking up, and so he wasn't is really, available as much. Which is really unfortunate. I mean, I, yeah, I just, I love what we eventually get with Willow and Tara, at least for a while. Um, but, uh, damn it, you know, in a perfect world, they, yes. they would have found a way to keep Oz, because... I, I I completely agree. Uh, for a little while, it is the golden era of Buffy while we've got Spike and Oz on the same show. Absolutely. So, um, but so I guess I don't need to ask you how you feel <laughs> about uh, Buffy and or Oz and Willow finally like getting to speak to each other. I literally from the first time that he's like playing guitar in Inca Mummy Girl, and he's like, "Who is that girl?" Mm-hmm. I was. I was completely hooked on Oz. So I was thrilled when, when 
Willow, who uh, it may not surprise you to find uh, I share nerdy solidarity with her um, <laughs> when she got with this hot, cool guy who was funny and smart. And I just and actually was, treated her like a person. I know it was so good. Like I understood the crush on Xander for a long time. I had a crush on Xander too, mm-hmm. but um, like she she's always been his sidekick, kind of. Right. And uh, like that that um that scene. I think it's in an. Uh, I think it's later on this season where he says, uh when I'm kissing you, you're kissing me back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just like, if if I was remotely on the fence, that was when I <laughs> fell off and was like, yes, this guy is exactly, he's perfect and exactly what Willow needs. And I love him. Yes, man. So uh, there are things that are difficult about going back to the, to the beginning. And uh, while it is just a joy to be, have Oz back in my life. It is it's difficult because I know that he's not gonna be around forever. But <sighs> at any rate, um let's see. What else do we have here in my notes? This was uh so I did a little research and found out this is the first and apparently last time that we ever see Buffy kiss Angel while he's in Vamp Face. Yeah, I feel like that whole thing was kind of contrived for the story. Uh-huh. Because because um, like, Ken- Kendra had to see it exactly, and yeah. normally Angel, you know, phases back and forth pretty easily. Why didn't he just do it this time? Because they needed him to yeah. be a vampire for Kendra, right? Yeah. And I'm allowed, I'm I'm willing to hand wave it, but it always like takes me out of the story for a minute. Well, I'm glad you said that because I I did when I found that little bit of trivia, I was like. Uh, I mean, I believed it because uh, I couldn't remember her ever kissing him in Vamp Face. But then I'm like, she she macks on a bunch of vampires. That's not true, I guess, too. But <laughs> there's a lot of Buffy kissing a vampire over the course of the series. And as I was like, is this really the only time that she ever kisses? Now, the the note that I saw specified Angel. So I don't know if she ever kisses Spike in Vamp Face. But... I don't think she does. And... I feel like for like practical purposes, it would be really hard. Like you see her and Angel making out and I'm like, how many times did she cut her tongue? Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't look comfortable. I loved her line. Uh, I mean, I, I mockingly say I loved her line when she was like, oh, I didn't notice. Or whatever. Right? <laughs> she didn't know. Come on. Come on. Um, but anyways. It kind of reads like a sort of what a 16 year old girl would seem as see as romantic and so it makes sense but it's also like yeah okay sure yeah um what else the first appearance of willie the snitch he's not called the snitcher but yes um willie is another character that, that uh i just kind of in the back of my mind he it seems like he was always a feature um so I was a little surprised that it took this long into the series before we ever got Willie. Yeah, I ended up looking him up to find out because I felt the same way. I thought he was probably on here before this episode, but this was number one. Yeah. Um, so 
let's talk about um, why Angel manages to get trapped in a little cleaning supply closet. <laughs> right? She, like, dragged him along, and there's only a, a padlock holding the door closed. Uh -huh. And then he's all whimpery because the sun's, like, within a couple inches of him. Uh -huh. And I'm like, but you you exist during the day. You're awake and you walk around fine with the sun on the other side of the curtain. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I've talked many times about the sort of inconsistent way that uh, that vampire biology or whatever is portrayed on the series. The sunlight making him weak, that is radically contradicted later on in the series at this particular moment i'm okay with it i guess i suppose for a dramatic license the fact that he is trapped so close to the sun all right i, I suppose i'll allow it but what i really won't allow is the fact that even even as the actor uh whose name just went out of my head why can't David Boreanaz. David, thank you. Good Lord. David <laughs> Boreanaz. Even as he's like banging on that door, I'm, I'm watching the door shake and I'm like, right. I'm like, even, even just the actor, David Boreanaz could easily put his hand through that. <laughs> like he could knock that door open so easily. And we're supposed to believe that, you know, 240 year old, super strong angel can't kick that door down. I don't know. There's a lot of suspension of disbelief that you have to allow for on a show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but that was one where I was like, come on, guys. Yeah, that's the, that's the hard thing about this genre is that you can't go too far if you want to keep your, your fans paying attention to what's going on in the story rather than how it's going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a conversation I'll have in future episodes, I'm sure, about how much... Um, how much kind of well you you said hand waving earlier like how much of that is required over the course of this series to allow the the intent of the story uh, uh joss whedon and and his entire group of writers like all of his collaborators incredible storytellers but at least early on in this series there's an awful lot of stuff that you have to just uh, make allowances for in order to enjoy the story Absolutely. So, um, I'm one of those detail oriented people. Like mm -hmm. your, your, uh, your Twitter name references X files. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course I know what 1013 is. I also know what 1121 is mm -hmm. and like all those little nitpicky details that like you see them and you're like, Oh my God, inside reference. Like the, the, uh, Whedon verse is not so good at, at remembering those sorts of things. Yeah, and on, uh... I'm very good at it. So when when it doesn't when it's it doesn't quite mesh with other stuff, I I I'm always like that's not quite right. <laughs> yeah, on uh, the previous episode of this podcast, I talked with um, David Bushman and Arthur Smith, and we were we specifically were discussing how often this series uh, throws details at us, like it, they every once in a while they get very specific and it's usually when they're talking about dates like you know angel was a human on this date in history or whatever and it's a little bit frustrating that they do that so often because they almost always end up contradicting themselves later yes um and 
like they were talking about how, you know, sometimes you just have to allow, like sometimes that's just there for kind of flavor and you just have to allow the story <clears throat> to tell itself. And, and in principle, I agree with that, but I'm also, I'm a nerd and there's a certain <laughs> element of detail oriented fandom that I go in for. And so if, absolutely if this show is going to make the effort to tell me that, you know, Buffy's birthday is October, whatever, 1981 or January, whatever, 1981. I kind of want it to stick to those details. Exactly. I have, I have a huge obsession with Stephen King, mm-hmm. especially how his books that are not part of the Dark Tower series work in with the Dark Tower series. I even have like encyclopedias about like all the references mm-hmm. they had like a story Bible. And I know that most shows do show Bibles. And I feel like that was something that either they weren't consistent on or just didn't have for, for Buffy that they could have benefited from. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, or I will see, maybe, you know, already, but I, I will be reminded as I go forward in the series uh, if they up their game on this at all, like if they get any better, I, I feel like maybe they don't <laughs> feel like they always play a little fast and loose with some of their details. I uh, think that's true. Yeah. Like maybe like a little better, but not significantly better. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, what else have we got? What else? I mean, um, Xander and Cordelia. Okay. Yes. Speaking of, this is speaking of my pairings, least, my least favorite trope. I just, I hate the, the, oh, we hate each other. We're fighting. Oh, wait, we're making out. Oh, well, you got it twice in these episodes. I know. I hate it so much. And, um, like at the time I was still very much like Cordy is funny, but I hate her. Uh So, um, I, I was very annoyed at this whole thing. I like, I was happy for Willow with, with, uh, Oz, but I also, you know, a little bit of me was still shipping her with, with Xander. Mm-hmm. And I just, I grew to, to like Cordy and, um, and Xander. I feel like Cordy did an unexpected amount of helping Xander grow, which was definitely not what I would have expected. <laughs> and I just hate how they started it. Yeah. And I, uh, I know that this is a thing that carries forward, but I, I can't, I can't remember how far, like, I, I know that this, uh, Xander Cordy thing is a sort of flash in the pan, but I, I don't remember how long that flash persists. So it's definitely this whole season and part of the next one. Really? My gosh, I had forgotten it was that long. I was I was about yeah, to say they, if they, you tell me that this is if you were to tell me that this sort of Xander Cordy thing is resolved in the next couple of episodes I would completely believe you I'm I'm gobsmacked for you to tell me that it lasts the rest of the season. They do sort of like sneaking off and making out in closets until Willow finds out, I think. Wow. And then um, and then they start dating. And then it's like they and Willow and Oz are like the couples and huh. yeah, I had, uh, completely forgotten that. So maybe that answers, well, for me, at least that answers my own question, but I'll ask you, um, do you, 
do you think that there was any potential for that like relationship to work story-wise? I mean, not in the real world. I I can't imagine that those two would hit it off in the real world, but do you, do you think that there was a way that that could have made for some, or do you think that does make interesting stories? I think it mostly makes interesting stories. Um, The love potion story when she breaks up with him Mm -hmm. because of her friends and he puts on a love spell and it turns bad i hate that episode i hate it a lot (laughs) okay um not just because of uh story stuff but because i hate i am a fan of xander as much as i find him a troubling character yeah um so i hate that he you know disregarded cordy's humanity i think it's realistic particularly for a teenage boy to have done so but I hate it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And um, I, I think they they do tell some good stories, but then like, and it, I could be biased because they're they're friendly sniping back and forth once they they kind of get into a relationship is exactly how my boyfriend and I are, <laughs> and how I've been with most of my relationships. We make fun of each other, but with love. Huh. And so, I, I think they they are very interesting. I don't think it could have continued long term even if um if they hadn't broken up when they did like cordy would have broken up with him at college Mm -hmm. because or going to college because she's actually really smart and she got into these amazing schools and he you know has no idea what he wants to do yeah man of all of the kind of gaps in my memory this is sort of the one that has knocked me back on my heels the most i legitimately had no memory that the Cordy Xander thing lasts as long as it does. So interesting. I wonder how I'm going to feel about them going forward. So um, we get a sort of paradigm shift in the Spike and Drew thing here because um, the adorable, like lovey-dovey relationship that we've had up to this point with Spike and Drew has been predicated on uh, she she's weak she was injured in Prague, and he is uh trying to he's her protector and he he wants to nurse her back to health and um like that's the whole macguffin of this episode is they they need the blood of her sire which that's a whole other conversation (laughs) um but uh yeah so the episode ends on a paradigm shift between the two of them because now um she is clearly back to full strength and now Spike is in something of a pickle. So um, how'd that sit with you? The actual shift, I'm, I really enjoyed. I enjoy uh, in the following episodes as they explore that. Mm-hmm. The way it happened, like, I was raised Catholic. There's no way a censor, uh, <laughs> the, the incense thing, would have knocked Spike over, let alone out. Mm-hmm. And how did that, like, he was just mostly under pipe organ pipes and they're not i mean some of them are really heavy but i don't think that they would have put him in a wheelchair for months yeah so it's another one of those nitpicky things well i mean i'm kind of right there with you i I wasn't raised catholic so i don't i don't know what uh how much a sensor weighs or whatever but it was a little it was a slightly goofy scene that she whips this thing at the back of Spike's head and 
again, there's, there, I have questions about vampire biology and how easy it is to knock a vampire unconscious. And since they don't need to breathe, why do so many vampires punch each other in the ribs? Like, you know, some of these <laughs> things are, are questionable. But when she knocks him upside the back of the head with this thing and he falls forward and him falling forward knocks down, like you said, it's the pipe organ. And I, I mm-hmm. guess you're right. But on screen, it plays as if it's knocked basically like that entire side of the church down on top of him. It was, it was a little bit, I was like, really? She throws something at the back of his head and he trips. And all of a sudden the entire church collapses on him. That seems extreme. That didn't bother me because a lot of times, particularly in Catholic churches, I don't, I don't know about other churches. The organ is like an entire wall. Okay. But, um, yeah, a sensor is like a couple ounces, maybe half a pound. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like I loved the actual move of of grabbing it and making use of your environment and swinging it over your head and hitting him with it. It just needed to be something a little more solid. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a little bit of that suspension of disbelief I was talking about earlier. The the fight choreography uh, on the show it sometimes it's great, um, and other times it's a little iffy um i i didn't get to talk about this on the last episode i wanted to but there was so much other stuff to talk about uh at the beginning of halloween actually um one of i think one of the most successful little bits of fight choreography was in the was at the beginning of um oh crap now i forget if it was halloween one of the episodes i talked about last week where spike had one of his minions videotaping buffy as she was fighting right yeah i think that was halloween because it it's why he was so excited when she turned into her costume. Yes, that's right. So um, that whole, uh, the cold open of that episode, and it's got her fighting a guy in a pumpkin patch or whatever. There was something about that that felt very visceral and real. Um, uh, it still, it had the same goofy elements that the show does. Like she throws a, a little pumpkin at the vampire's face to distract him or whatever, which is kind of laughable, but the whole thing that fight felt very real. Like the hits felt solid. Uh, there, there wasn't a moment where I was like, Oh, that was clearly a stunt double. That was clearly, uh, you know, her, her fight stand in or whatever. Uh, and then you've got (laughs) fights like happen in, uh, what's my line in the church where, um, I don't know. It's her throwing that thing. Like you said, kudos for using her environment, but it was, it seemed pretty silly for her to throw that thing at the back of spike's head and for that to be the thing that causes the the pipe organ to fall down and for that to be enough to have spike in a wheelchair for like virtually the rest of the season mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know it was a little bit yeah, silly. i think uh like i enjoyed parts of that that final fight um mm-hmm. before before that happened but like i think this was probably one of the less well choreographed ones i did notice because i'm ridiculously good at catching mike massa and sophia crawford the stunt doubles for angel and buffy Mm -hmm. uh usually for sophia it's because of the wig right and i noticed that it's easier to spot it if her hair if buffy's hair is down than when her Uh, hair is up interesting i don't know why that is but i i always spot her by the wig and that's that's what I noticed today is that uh, yeah. when her hair is up, I don't know if it's just because of the part 
or what, but mm-hmm. like something is off when when she has the wig on. Yeah. Um, I don't remember noticing her specifically in that fight. I, I feel like sometimes it really does stand out. Like there, there are times where the camera will cut to Buffy doing a, a cool flip or some spinning back kick or whatever. And to me, at least, it's patently obvious on camera. That was so not Sarah Michelle Gellar. Mm-hmm. Um, other times they pull it off pretty well. but I, I think I, most of the time they do pretty well. But um, I, I uh, after, you know, 15 or 20 viewings of the series, I got uh-huh. to the point where I, I actually looked for it to see if I could see it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's unfair of us. We should, again, this is the nitpicky fan in us. I, I absolutely did never, I never noticed when I was watching early on. Uh-huh. I mean, I was a huge, I was a huge fan on my first viewing of the show. So clearly it didn't, it didn't bother me at the time. Exactly. But you're right with, with hindsight and going back to revisit, it's a lot easier for us to say, I don't know. That wasn't really, that was not Sarah Michelle Geller. Now, <laughs> uh, the, on the other hand, that was Sarah Michelle Gellar doing the ice skating. So I thought that was really cool. Like that. There were a couple spots where it actually looked like it wasn't like, I knew it was because I, I knew the story, uh-huh. but there were a couple spots where I was like, is that her? Are we sure? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure. I didn't notice that. I, m- my thought was uh, like, I can't ice skate at all. So I'm not, I'm not knocking Sarah Michelle Gellar's ability uh, in the slightest, but I do remember thinking um, there's an awful lot of, she's doing, just like single pirouettes like i mean that's a thousand times better than i would be able to do in ice skates again but still she's only doing like one spin and they show her doing one spin like eight times (laughs) so i remember thinking if they if they wanted us to think she was an amazing skater they would have had to cut to a double or whatever like this i feel like this is clearly sarah michelle geller's uh skating ability that we're seeing um and the only reason it kind of stood out as, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like the only reason it stood out to me is that they just kept showing her do a single spin. Like she wasn't doing uh, triple lutzes or anything like that, which as the Slayer, you'd think she'd be able to do. Yeah, I think because they like to use the actor's talents like they do with uh, Summer mm-hmm. and dancing on mm-hmm. um, Angel. Uh, I think they didn't want to have to cut to somebody yeah. and also probably find and pay a, a more talented skater. Right. But also, um, like, I can't ice skate, but mm-hmm. I, I'm in roller derby and I can roller skate. And there's a lot of work that goes into those skills, including just making a turn and uh, facing backwards and all that. And if Sarah Michelle Gellar wasn't working on those, which probably she hasn't been for years, Mm -hmm. that the fact that she did as well as she did was great because, I mean, these are skills that sort of stay with you, Mm -hmm. but they like your muscle memory is still there and, and you know what to do, but you need to, I'm sure she practiced for a week or three weeks or something beforehand just to like make sure she could still do it. Yeah. And yeah. Well, again, I just want to clarify for our listeners. I'm not, I am not <laughs> ridiculing uh, Sarah Michelle Geller's skating ability in the slightest. So, um, 
I guess uh, two things to wrap up before before we forget about the whole uh, Drew is now uh, back to her full strength and Spike is not. However questionable or whatever that scene was, the, the way it happened, I do love the sort of reveal that we got um, at the end of it with Drew like standing up in the rubble and actually like lifting Spike up by his arm out of the rubble and then carrying him walking out of the church. I don't know. I do too. I noticed with um, when Buffy gets Angel down and is holding him kind of in her lap. Mm -hmm. And then when, when Drew is carrying Spike, they're both kind of uh, Pieta moments. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I just was like, I love the parallel of the, the, the two sets of of romances and how you know love is universal even if you're an evil monster (laughs) an evil soulless thing which is debatable (laughs) uh so yeah no the the last thing then um the last thing i have at least is the wonderful oz and willow moment yes all all that fascinating dialogue which apparently was like 95 percent improv'd Yes, I've I've heard that too. I love it. I, all monkeys are French. <laughs> exactly. The the infamous to me at least one of the lines that sticks with me uh, ever since I first saw the show was the whole "I mock you with my monkey pants." Yes, of course. Um, which I, I'm sure most people who are listening to this are are Buffy fans and are familiar with this. But in case you're not, apparently that was that line comes from a dream that Allison Hannigan had had. And she, she told that story to uh, Seth Green, and um, Joss decided to, or I don't know if Joss decided or if if Seth Green improved that, but uh, that was brought into the story because it was something that Alison Hannigan had dreamt about, and then all of the all monkeys are French, don't you know that? Like all of that dialogue as they're walking away from the camera was just that was the two of them riffing. Yeah, that's my my favorite of the thousands of Return of the King endings in this episode. <laughs> did it did it have that many endings? It really I it may have felt like there's a few more than there actually are because I was waiting very impatiently for the the final Drew and Spike scene. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like after every like storyline wrap up, I was like, "Okay, now it's next." Wait, no. Now it's next. No. <laughs> so it was uh, Buffy and Kendra. That's um, right. Yeah. With the Kermit then, pants. Yeah. <laughs> then we had uh, uh, Cordelia and Xander make, making out and yelling at each other in a classroom. Oh, man, you're right. And it's all coming then back. Then we to had you. Willow and Oz. And I was just like, please, just. You're almost there. <laughs> so many endings. And I, I, individually, none of them were things that I would want to have cut. Maybe maybe the Xander. And Cordy I, I was just gonna say, not the Xander Cordy stuff. <laughs> but um, like, put all together, and it's like, really, you're gonna add another hour to this episode? Wow, I I it hadn't registered as I was watching it, but it, it's all coming back to me. You're right; it was one ending after the other, and we there was no like. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. There was no sort of Buffy and Angel denouement on this episode, was there? It was just there was not. It was just her sort of cradling him after the fight. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting, because a lot of stuff came out about Angel in in these episodes. Yes. Hmm. All right. Um, I lied. One final note, uh, because this is a thing that I I threatened in a previous episode. I'm going to track as we go forward, and that is uh, the the Jonathan count. My Jonathan counter. <laughs> we have our third appearance of Jonathan. Although interestingly enough, he in the credits, even though they named him last time, he went from I, I, guy number two or whatever I think maybe is what his initial credit was, and then in his second appearance, um, they named him Jonathan. But here he goes back to hostage guy. <laughs> I had no idea. Like I noticed him, of course, because you know he becomes. A, a more significant character later. And that's some, something I actually appreciated about this show is that the the background characters, there uh -huh. were always someone that like you recognize from an earlier episode because it's not just like random casting call. We need some crowds. Yeah. It was actually like a real high school. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is it. The, so Danny strong is the actor, uh, the, the Jonathan, the Danny strong stuff is, Initially, it's kind of played for laughs. I'm, I'm sure that as they were as they were doing this, it was all funny to just consider there's this one lovable loser in school that always is in the wrong place at the wrong time or whatever. But um, I don't know. As Jonathan is, as that character gets fleshed out, and as he becomes the character that he gradually becomes, I'm gonna have some stuff to say about the treatment of Jonathan Levison Levinson <laughs> on this Absolutely. series. So, but anyways, this is his third appearance, and for some reason he doesn't even get a name in this one. He's just hostage guy, but anyways. So anything else? Uh, any any final thoughts or anything that we didn't talk about? Um, the only thing that I have is, I'm not positive, but I think this might be one of the first uh, times that Willow slays a vampire. Oh, you're absolutely right. Yes. And it was kind of weird. Yeah, I think Giles is holding him, and she's like, "Hold him still." Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was about that scene. It was like I, barely even. It's totally glossed over. It's like, okay, well, we see this on our way to somewhere else. Yeah, it was almost off camera. Uh, like the camera just sort of panned past as it was happening, and she, she mm -hmm. was telling, she was like, "Hold him, hold him down, hold him down," or whatever. I. I don't know. I I logged it in my brain. I registered that that was happening. I was like, "Oh my god, Willow just dusted a vampire," but. I, this is for my therapist. Maybe there's, there's, there's maybe a subconscious reason why the way that scene played out was a little uncomfortable for me, but oh, <laughs> may, maybe I'll get to that on a future episode. I don't know. But anyways, and I completely forgot it's in all caps here in my notes and I completely forgot to call it out. Um, this is the episode where we finally get the Scooby gang. Yes. So finally, I will no longer have to check myself when I refer to them as the Scooby gang. It's official. They have now been dubbed the Scooby gang. Xander officially coins the term. Yeah. I think they went with Slayerettes for like an episode and they were like, no, yeah, this is no. Yeah. So hallelujah. I can finally, <laughs> I can stop questioning <laughs> whether it's appropriate to refer to them as the Scooby gang. Anyways. So yeah, that was it. Um, Melanie, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, there was a we we went through a journey to get here, 
It's true. A little behind the scenes for the audience that wouldn't otherwise know. Um, it took us a bit to make <laughs> to to fight through some audio and connectivity issues, but uh, it was. Yeah, worth we seem it. to have destroyed my podcast curse, though, because it actually happened. That's right. This is, yes. Um, you you this was your first. I, yes. I, I was your first. I don't mean to make that <laughs> uncomfortable, but there it is. So, but not your last, because we're going to have you back for future That's episodes. Right. So I always give my guests the opportunity to uh, put themselves out there to share their uh, contact information if you want to be stalked by any of our listeners. Well, I don't know that I talk enough about like genre stuff to interest them, but they can find me on Twitter at Research Nerdery, all one word. Well, thanks for joining me. Uh, and thank you all at home for listening. Uh, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate us or write us a review. There are a number of Buffy podcasts, uh, past and present. And uh, it's I, I'm just one potential in a vast field. So any uh, kind words that you could spare would really help us stand out from the crowd. If you've got any questions for me or any of my guests, or if you just want to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or join the Facebook group. Um, <laughs> the Facebook group is conversations with conversations with dead people. I just, <laughs> I love the word. So uh, please join us there. Uh, my hope is that that Facebook group is where the larger group of fans can join the conversation that starts here on the podcast. Uh, next week, I'm happy to say my good friend and frequent podcast collaborator, Ken Edwards, is joining me. Ken uh, was a podcaster himself for many years and has often been a guest on my other show, Gobbledygeek, where he's built something of a reputation for himself as being the the crazy metatextual guy, <laughs> always bringing his unique read on whatever film or genre property we're discussing. So I can't wait to get the patented can take on episodes 211 Ted and 212 Bad Eggs, both episodes that will probably benefit from the Ken Edwards metatextual read. So until then, Gur Arg, everybody. Gur Arg. Scooby Dooby Doo.